here. God, you are so good. And there's no place we would rather be, God, than in your presence, God. We thank you that you have graced us, Lord, and lavished your love upon us, God, as we have worshipped you. And God, we know you have a word to speak to us now, so we pray for ears to hear, God, and a heart to respond. Lord, that we would bear uh, fruit in our lives a hundredfold, God. I'm not looking for the 30 or 60 cup, but I'm believing for a hundredfold fruit in our individual lives and in this congregation as we hear and do what your word says. I thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we are starting a two-part series this week uh, entitled Discovering the Six Meanings of, of Elul. We have one week left for until Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, Arab Rosh Hashanah, is a week from tomorrow, actually. And so this is the last week of Elul. For those who may not understand uh, the Jewishness of where we're at, maybe you're visiting or you're not in, in touch with the calendar, Elul is the month before Tishri. Tishri is the month that Rosh Hashanah falls upon. And uh, during the month of Elul, it is to be a time where we uh, spend time in reflection and introspection and preparation. Uh, in Aramaic... Uh, which was the language spoken by the Jewish people when the months uh, were named, uh, the Jewish months were named, uh, Elul means to search, which is appropriate because in this month, again, it's time of searching uh, our hearts as we prepare to come to Rosh Hashanah and to Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day on uh, the calendar for us as Jewish people, the holiest day in scriptures. And one writer said this about the month of Elul. It's called the month of repentance, the month of mercy, and the month of, of forgiveness. As Elul follows the two previous months of Tammuz and Av, Av is the month right before Tammuz is before Av, the, the months of the two great, two great sins of Israel. One month was the sin of the golden calf, and the other month was the sin of the spies where they did not respond in faith and uh, therefore ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. And he goes on to say, it's really a month of repentance. During this month, the shofar is traditionally blown every morning. Tehillim 27 is read. In fact, we've done that on several Shabbats during this month, uh, read that as part of our liturgy. And in fact, the entire book of Psalms is read throughout, throughout the month and into the high holidays uh, and finished reading on Yom Kippur uh, through the month of Elul, three chapters a day are read of the book of Psalms. And then on Yom Kippur, I think there's about 30 some left. You read the rest of those. That's what's done traditionally. So this message here that we're going to be sharing in the next two weeks is a message to encourage us to continue our preparation towards Rosh Hashanah this year. Tradition also tells us that Elul is an, acro- is the, an acronym for the phrase, Anila Dodi Vidodi Li. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine from Shir Shirim, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 3. And we're going to look more closely at that verse in a minute. But the rabbis have done a little investigation into the Tanakh, and they have found uh, five other places where they see this acronym. 
Anila Dovi Vidodi Li, and they connect it with the month of Elul. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at this whole of six verses, asking God to give us insight and to discover what he would say to us, again, once again, in our preparation for the high holy days. So the first thing that God would speak to us is to pursue intimacy with him. Can you say that word, pursue? Okay, that's a verb, number one, just a little English here. And it's an action verb, okay? It's not, you know, a state of being verb. It's something that we actively have to do. So God would encourage us that we need to pursue intimacy with him. And you can see here, this is the Hebrew phrase. I did this for all of the, uh, the Hebrew words. And I circled the Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed, which spells out the month of Elul in Hebrew. And so this is what is common to all of these verses. And once again, this verse in English is translated, or this phrase, Anila dodi vidodi li, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Now, we're used to hearing this verse uh, often in wedding ceremonies. It's on my wedding band, and my husband's many uh, couples incorporated into their messages. How many have it on your wedding band? You can hang it up, up, right? Many of us do, right? But the book, Shir HaShirim, is really an allegory of the love between Hashem and his people. It's not about the love between a man and a woman, even though it describes that, but it's an allegory of God's love and desire for his people to respond to him in love. And it's a book that a lot of people avoid reading because it is very graphic in detail about an intimate relationship. And some people feel very uncomfortable talking about intimacy and using the same word intimacy with God. But God has no problem using that word. That's his confirmation. Okay? Just interpreting that for you. He has no problem talking about a relationship with you and I in terms of you know, using intimate terminology. And the high holy days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are about securing our relationship with Hashem. It's not about the apples and honey, which we would like to eat, or the round challah. I like mine with raisins. I get mine from Walbaums normally. I always get them to slice it, and to me it's the best, at least in our area. You may have a bakery that you like. So, so I enjoy eating those things in the holiday, but that's not what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is about. It's about knowing that we are right with God and therefore in a relationship with him. And one writer wrote this about having a relationship and intimacy with God. He says, we're inclined to think that there must be some secret to attaining intimacy with God. Have you thought that? There's a secret, and and I am not in on that secret. And that it comes in a flash of enlightenment or some trick or technique that we must learn. And that once found, it will whisk the seeker up into a constant communion with God. And this elusive search for easy answers, he said, is epitomized by the current assortment of pseudo-believer self-help books that are available. And I'm not opposed to these books, and I don't think this writer is either, but... It speaks of a symptom that we have. Bookstores are filled with literature that promises to help you lose weight, to save your marriage, build your self-esteem, or discipline your time just by following these three simple steps. Right? We've all seen them. 
And again, I'm not opposed to them because I've used some things that have helped me. But we get caught up into this thing of, okay, there has to be this little magic formula. Unfortunately, he goes on to say, say, life is rarely that simple. We are dependent on God. And the only secret is that if we desire to know God more, we must rely on God for our answer, not on anything we can learn or do, but on God. Intimacy with God is not a spiritual state to achieve, but a relationship. We may think we need, what we need is more faith, more trust, holiness, hunger. But the question is, faith in whom? Holiness to whom? Trusting whom? Hunger for whom? It is not a thing we seek, but a person. The question to ask is not what, but who. See, intimacy with God is nothing more than a relationship. And we think it involves so much more, but it's simply a relationship. And one of the greatest hindrances with our, uh, in our relationship with Adonai is the distractions of life. We were sharing in the discipleship uh, lesson we had this week that relationships take time. And it's one thing to sing songs, and we sing some powerful songs and worship this morning. My heart was moved. I was stirred emotionally. I'm weeping as I'm you know, uh, reflecting on God's love for me and my love to him. But you know what? It's not just about singing a song and being moved emotionally here in the sanctuary. That's not going to sustain an intimate relationship with God. You cannot have a relationship by once-a-week encounter on any level with anyone, much less with God. It's not coming here once or twice a week, but it's a daily pursuing of him. Say that again, pursuing intimacy. See, relationship is something that we need to pursue. One writer said this, God does not have the secret society of intimate friends. We are as intimate with God as we choose to be. That's a Selah moment. You and I are as intimate with God as we choose to be. Get no tricks. No magical formula, it's simply the choice that you and I make. And my prayer for you and me is that during this season we would truly grasp the desire of God and respond with our own desire to draw closer to him. As the psalmist said in Tehillim 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. The psalmist had tasted and seen of God's presence. We tasted and saw God's presence in the sanctuary today. I don't know about you, but he was here, and he is here, and it was very real, real, a manifest presence. But because I have tasted of that today, that means that tomorrow I'm going to have this same cry that the psalmist had, God, I want more of you. I want to seek you. I want to come into your presence. Why? Because I've tasted of it here in the sanctuary. See, that's what the psalmist was saying. I went to the house of the Lord and I saw it and tasted of the glory of the Lord. And because that, I seek you and I thirst for you. 
I thirst and long for you, even when I'm outside the sanctuary. The sages tell us that during this season, if we repent, the Holy One, blessed is he satiates us with his grace. And if we declare, I am my beloved, it is certain that God will respond, respond, and my beloved is mine. You see, he's all into you and me. He, he loves us, and he wants a relationship with, uh, with us. So he's not the one holding back. He's into pursuing you, and, and he has, and he has pursued me. It's our part to pursue back. As I said, intimacy is not about coming to synagogue once a week and hearing a message from the rabbis. Although that's important, and that would be an encouraging thing, even as we read the psalmist, it was encouraged you know, by uh, being in the presence of God. So here are a few things that we need to do in order to develop that intimate relationship. Number one, make time. Turn to your neighbor and say, make time. Write these things down because these are the things you're going to do. This is your homework. You're going to make time for God. Think about it. When we look at the life of Yeshua, who is our example, he always made time to be with his heavenly father. Sometimes he'd get up early in the morning when everyone else was asleep, right? And he went away to pray. What, what was he doing praying? He's talking to God, having a relationship, communion with God. At other times, he would pull away from the crowds, and he would go to an isolated place where there were no distractions and would pray. In other words, have communion, relationship with God. He made time. We need to make time if we're going to develop a relationship with God, if we're going to have that intimacy with him. We read through Tehillim 27, as I said in my introduction, during the month of Elul. It's read every day. And listen to the cry of uh, the psalmist's heart there in verse 4. And my husband wrote a song based on this. Just one thing. I have asked of Adonai. Only this will I seek. To live in the house of Adonai all the days of my life. To see the beauty of Adonai and to visit in his temple. We ask many things of God. But the one thing we really should ask and the one thing we really should seek God is to be in your presence. The psalmist says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to be anywhere else. And as we've read and we studied a few years ago of the revivals of past time, beginning in the scriptures and going throughout history, one of the things that was common to all of those revivals, and that word came forward praying out for revival to come to our land and to our area here, you know how it's going to happen? as we become a people who pursue intimacy with God. Get no magical formula. Those men and women beginning in the Tanakh through the New Covenant and through the, uh, the history ever since then, the last 2,000 plus years, were men and women who pursued an intimate relationship with God. They made time for God. And don't kid yourself. They had families, they had lives, they had jobs, they had responsibilities. We think, oh, you know, they had it easy. 
No, 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 we have it easy. We have so many modern conveniences that make our life easy that you don't have to go and milk the cow and bring your food in and go and harvest that you go to the grocery store and buy it, my, for goodness sake. We live in a generation where life is very, very easy. These people in the years past that we talk about and the revivals we read about had to work very hard to take care of their families and to bring in. I'm not saying you don't work hard, but they didn't have the conveniences that we do. And they still made time to pursue an intimate relationship with God. Anila Dodiva Dodi Lee speaks of that intimate relationship. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to be inconvenienced. Write it down. Shir Hashirim, chapter 5. Again, this is a whole allegory. So here is the, the woman who represents us. She says, I'm asleep, but my heart is awake. Listen, I hear my beloved knocking. Beloved or darling in this translation represents Hashem. He says, open for me, my love. My flawless one, for my head is wet with dew, my hair with the moisture of the night. And she, that's us, replies, but I removed my coat. Must I put it back on? I washed my feet. Must I dirty them again? I'm in bed already. Don't bother me. I can't be inconvenienced. And he pursues her again. God pursues us even though we say that. And says, the man I love put his hand through the hole by the door latch. And my heart began to pound at the thought of him. And that's what has happened as we've come together today. And, and as we came into his presence. And, and, and as we wept and, and, and we encountered him. And your heart pounds and you realize how much he loves you. How much he loves me. <clears throat> Finally, she says, I got up to open for the man I love. My hands were dripping with mirror. The pure myrrh ran off my fingers onto the hands of the bolt. I opened <clears throat> for my beloved, my, my lover, but my lover had turned and gone. My heart had failed me. When I spoke, I sought, but I couldn't find him. I called, but he did not answer. She didn't want to be inconvenienced. Developing a relationship takes time, and it means you're going to be inconvenienced. Sometimes there might be other things you'd rather be doing. And sometimes there will be other things that pull at your heart's attention. But you and I have to make a decision to be inconvenienced. Again, thinking of the revivals of the past and some of them that we're more familiar with because they're in this generation and in the last hundred years, so we have more written for us about these revivals. I can think of the Brownsville revival. And I, as we went down there, you know, on many occasions, and I can hear testimonies, and I can hear the people saying, you know, I, you know, I got off from work, and I, and I went home, and I quickly made my family something, or we prepared, and we quickly ate it, and we came here because we wanted to be in God's presence. And they would stay, and, and at the beginning of the services, you know, they would go to one, two, three, sometimes four in the morning, and they'd get up and go to work, and then they'd come back, and they'd do the same thing. Why? Because... They were 
pursuing intimacy with God and they wanted to see his presence and that revival come that would change their community and change this nation but they knew that they were key to it you and I are key to it and we have to pursue that intimate relationship with God and yes sometimes it means being inconvenienced I'm thinking of Dutch Sheets and they told the story of how the presence of God came into that building and God told them to stay and they stayed for a couple days and the presence of God was so powerful and and you know many left and there were two girls who stayed overnight for two days and and then they left and then they came back the congregation came back and and God's manifest presence wasn't there and they cried out what what is it gone what's happened and God said I told you to stay and they repented and they stayed and I remember the story especially of the airplane pilot Again, you know, because you think, oh, these are people who don't have anything else to do with their lives. So they can come to the airplane pilot talking about how he would get off his flight and, and again, do what he had to do to get there because he wanted to pursue intimacy with God for himself and for his community and his nation. I think of Azusa Street, of the little kids would sit under the seats and the manifest presence and the glory of God was that so thick that you could see it again people who had lives they had to live jobs they had to go to families they had to take care of school they had to go to but they were willing to be inconvenienced the rest of the time to pursue intimacy with God It's okay to turn the TV off once in a while. Just saying. It's okay to say no to a night out with a family member and instead seek, seek and pursue God. And the third thing, if you want to have an intimate relationship with God... If I want to have an intimate relationship with God, I need to be desperate for more of his presence to counter the living God. The psalmist says in Tehillim 42, 1 and 2, just as a deer longs for running streams, God, I long for you. I am thirsty, thirsty for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? And my husband spoke about this, that we don't even know we're thirsty. And that's the problem. And this imagery here, and it's a song we sing, and this is a passage of scripture that many of us are familiar with, and many of us maybe even have memorized it. So because of its familiarity, we don't truly grasp. A deer panting after water means he's desperate for that water. He's thirsty. Well, that's the desperation that you and I need to have. God, I long for your presence. I long for you. I'm desperate for you. We used to sing a song some years back. I'm desperate for you, God. I'm desperate for you. That needs to be the cry of our heart because pursuing intimacy, if you're not desperate about pursuing, the relationship won't develop. Think about any relationship you have here on this, on this earth. 
Think about the relationship you have with your spouse. Think about it, men, because you were, for the most part, the pursuers. And how you pursued that woman. And you put effort into that. I remember when my husband and I became engaged, I would get up early in the morning, and he would, too, to make a phone call to talk to each other. We put effort into pursuing each other. And we arranged our schedules to spend more time with each other. How much more should we do so with the living God? Anila Dodiva Dodi Lee speaks of that intimate relationship. Think of many of the people in the scriptures who were desperate to encounter the living God in, 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 in Yeshua. The second verse I want us to look at today is from Divarim 30, verse 6. And this verse speaks to us of allowing Adonai to do spiritual heart surgery. It says, Then Adonai your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your children so that you will love Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your being, and thus you will live. And it says, they, it picks up on that part, your hearts and the heart of your children, et levavcha et levav zarecha. And as you can see, Aleph Lamet Vav Lamet, the month of Elul. And the rabbis say this verse is connected to this month. And it speaks to us of God doing spiritual surgery. Circumcision is a cutting away. I want to ask you today, what in your life needs to be cut away so that you can truly love Adonai with all your heart and all your soul? Maybe you have fear, pride, adultery, lust, laziness, disobedience, gossip, doubt, unbelief. Whatever it is, allow God to cut it away. The fact is, we can dress up and look all nice on the outside. This is my dress I bought for the 35th anniversary. I haven't worn it since I put it on this morning. My son goes, oh, Mom, you look so nice in that dress. Thank you. But I'm going to look all nice on the outside. But it's what's on the inside that matters, and that's what God looks at. He's not looking at the dress. He's looking at my heart. So you can't see my heart. And I can't see your heart, but God does. He sees to the deepest recesses of your heart, those things that you think nobody else knows. I want to tell you right now, there is nothing, absolutely nothing hidden from God about your life, about the thoughts and the things in your heart. Everything is known to him. And he knows the things that are hindering our growth and our ability to truly know him. And there are things that are holding, some of us are holding on to that are hindering and even preventing Adonai from working in our hearts. And the result is a stony heart. Our hearts become hard because we keep resisting him. Yet he promises that he wants to do something different. He wants to circumcise and to give us a new heart. The prophet Yechezkel, Ezekiel, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside you. I will take away the stony heart out of you and give you a heart of flesh. But it involves a surrender on our part. No surgeon is going to come and do surgery on you unless you volunteer and you put yourself up on the table. Hello? 
I had surgery on my leg twice. I had to go to the doctor. I had to go to the hospital. I had to jump up on that, that uh, whatever they call it, operating table. Well, I didn't jump on the operating table, on the gurney that took me to the operating table. But I had to willingly go and say, do surgery. God wants to circumcise your heart and my heart, but we have to allow him to do that. We have to surrender to him. And that's what he tells us later in Devarim chapter 10, verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. I want everyone to look at me right now. I'm going to tell you straight out. Some of you are just plain old stiff-necked and stubborn. You would think you were from Missouri or something. It's a reputation for being stubborn as mules. God says, stop being stiff-necked. Stop being stubborn. Surrender. Often our stubbornness keeps us from total surrender, and somehow we think we know better than God. I mean, of course, you know. He's only the creator of the universe who has always existed. Why would he know better than you or me? But we get that in our mind, and we think we know better, and so, you know, Yes, I love you, God, in the sanctuary. And yes, I'll even give you time on a daily basis, you know, and I'll do my devotional, especially since I know the rabbi sometimes asks people that. And if you're one of those people who we really ask, you're going to make sure because you don't want to come and tell us, no, I haven't had it for a month. So you'll come and say, oh, oh yeah, no, you know, I was struggling a little bit, but I had devotions the other day. But your heart's not surrendered. There's areas you're holding on to because, you know, God, you can't have that area. Because I know what's best. And I'm going to fix that. And God says, I want to circumcise your heart. I want to cut it off. A great allegory I read years ago, I used to recommend it and used to buy it and give out to people, was Hind's Feet on High Places. And the main character was much afraid. And uh, again, it's been a long time since I've read it. But the things I remember most is much afraid was afraid to allow the good shepherd to touch her heart. And she wouldn't let him until finally one day she did. It was painful at first. Now, I've been to three circumcisions this summer. Okay, We were blessed with three sons of Israel this summer. My daughters have been counting how many she's been to. I haven't seen a thing yet, she says. I make sure I don't see it. <laughs> but she's been to five. I think is what she I think I've been to five of them, right? But what happens at a circumcision? I don't want to get too graphic, but there's a cutting away. And those little guys scream for a moment. You know, the, the, the mole is right there to, mole's right there to put that little uh, uh, kerchief with the wine in his, and he starts sucking on it, and before you know it, he's settling down. But there's a cutting away. Cutting hurts. And so much afraid when the shepherd did it and pulled that out. It was painful, but it was good because it brought freedom. You see, anything God cuts off you or me always brings freedom. And it brings us closer to him, which is what Divarim is saying here, that let me circumcise your heart so that you can love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and string. And so perhaps you're struggling with loving God with everything that's in you. Well, just let him circumcise your heart. 
Just surrender to him. One writer said that circumcision is a sign of separation. It was given to the Jewish people to separate them from all the nations of the earth. And for us, spiritual circumcision is a separating ourselves, not physically from the world, but in our thoughts, deeds, and emotions from the way of the world. So my prayer for you and, and for myself this year is that there be a year of total surrender for us, that we would cry out as David did, search me and try me, look to my innermost part. God. And whatever it is that is there, cut it out, yank it out, do whatever you have to do, because I want to pursue after you. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. I want to see that prayer that was cried out in this, uh, in the worship this morning, the prayer that we pray often on Thursday nights as we come together for prayer. I want to see revival. I want to see many Jewish people come to faith. I want to see the heavens open over this sanctuary and over this island. Well, I'm part of the answer. So I need to pursue intimacy with God, but I can't when I'm hanging on to stuff. So God, cut it out of me. Allow Adonai access to every area of our lives. Don't hold back. So a heart that has allowed Adonai to, to do spiritual surgery on is a heart that will look like this. It's not going to be a hard heart, but this is what your heart will look like. It's going to be passionate for his presence. Again, there's nothing that will keep you from being with him. That's the whole purpose here of Devarim 36. I'm going to circumcise so you can love me with everything. So a heart that's been circumcised is a heart passionate for his presence. A heart that is circumcised is a heart eager to walk in obedience to the word. There's no room for excuses. It's simple obedience is the result. Yeshua says, if you love me, in other words, if you're pursuing intimacy and you're in an intimate relationship with God, then you're going to keep his commandments. And I wasn't even conscious of the new covenant reading today from Yochanan Five when I was doing my message this week, but there it says that his commandments are not burdensome. Why are his commandments not burdensome? Because I love him and he loves me. It's not a burden to do what he asked me to do. It's not a burden to follow the things in the Tanakh and the new covenant. Why? Because there's this relationship. So a circumcised heart is eager to walk into obedience. So what can we conclude? If you're not passionate for his presence, if you have a problem obeying his word, maybe you need your heart to be circumcised. A circumcised heart sees what others cannot see. It looks beyond, beyond the natural and is able to see what God can see. We were talking about this in the leadership meeting last week about the atmosphere of, of the services and things like this and challenging one another. And bottom line is, you know, there's a lot of uh, hurt and pain in this world. Rena shared it in her Devar Torah. Uh, we each have our own measure of hurt and stuff going on in our life. And I can focus on the stuff. And trust me, my stuff is... is is pretty heavy at times. Or I can choose to see what God sees. When my heart is circumcised, you know, it's able to see, again, that has comes to faith. And faith, and we've done so many different series on faith, faith doesn't deny 
the circumstances, but it sees beyond them. You know, so yeah, I might be in pain, you know, and I might be suffering physically, or I might have a financial need, or this relationship might need mending. And, and so because I see what others don't see doesn't mean I'm denying what's here, but it means I'm hoping against all hope, as Avraham did, one of my favorite passages, Romans 4, because he knew that God was able to do what he had promised. Okay, and even as we encourage again in the Devar Torah that he will suddenly come and do what he spoke. So that's why I'm able to rise up. As my husband has shared many times, I can hear him saying this. He and I don't always feel like getting up here and worshiping and preaching and like, woo-woo, rah-rah. There are times when our hearts are heavy and we are burdened. There's personal pain. Besides the burden of the congregation, as Rav Shaul's, I carry the weight of you. As we get up, and I'm an early riser, so although this week my body's been struggling with this, so I didn't get up always as early as I wanted to, but I usually try to get up around 5.30 before the rest of the family gets up. And it's time to pray and, and for you and for others. But we make a choice not to allow the pain that we are going through personally to affect our ability to see what God sees. But we rise up in faith because we allow our hearts to be circumcised. And that's what you need to do. And I mean, someone said that last week, I think, in the leadership about you know, faking it until it takes you know, root in you. And I knew what they meant. They didn't really mean faking. It means you have to make a choice. It's a choice of your will and my will to see what God doesn't see when we allow our hearts to be circumcised. You have two choices. You can focus, as Kepha did, on Yeshua and walk straight to him, or you can focus on the waves around you, the pain and everything that's going, and sink in the sea. I want to be a water walker, okay? Anyone else with me? Okay, you guys can come afterwards, everyone else. We have, it's a choice, we really do. But allowing our hearts to be circumcised, when your heart is circumcised and you allow God to cut away all that stuff, yes, there's pain in life. Yes, I'm experiencing pain this week. You know, the last couple of years have been very painful and difficult years on many levels for me and my family. In a span of five months, uh, nine months, we lost five family members. What do we have to do? God, you just keep working in my heart that I can rise beyond and I can pursue you and I can see what you don't, what others don't see. It's a choice my husband and I have to make every day. And a heart that has been circumcised is a heart burning with a desire to share the good news with others. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. But just look at this scripture with me from Matthew 9, 36 through 38. When Yeshua saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them. Because they were harried and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his Talmud team, the harvest is rich. But the workers are what? Few. 
pray to the Lord of harvest. We'll send out workers together in this harvest field. That's why I gave you an assignment from the announcements. What was your assignment from the announcement? Okay, we had several answers coming. It's not to bring anyone, although that should be the end result, but to invite one person every day this week. Why? Right here. If your heart's been circumcised, then you're going to have compassion on the people around you. And that compassion is going to lead you to invite them because you know that their only hope is found in God. And Yeshua had compassion, and he looked, and he says, there's so many people hurting, helpless, and there's nobody to go to them. But when my heart is circumcised, when I've allowed God to move all that stuff, because what happens when your heart is circumcised, you know, you realize, you know, it's not about you. We are so self-centered sometimes, you know, I know this can come across as harsh, and it's not to minimize your pain or my pain, but there is so many other people there. And the fact is that you and I, if we have come to faith in Yeshua as the Messiah, our names are written in the, in the book of life, and to borrow from a spring holiday, Dayenu. What more could we ask for in reality? The third scripture we're going to look at today, and then Rabbi Michael will look at the other three scriptures next week, is found in Hadassah, the book of Esther, chapter 9, verse 22. Each man will give gifts to his fellow and present presents to the poor. poor. There in Hebrew it says, Ish Every man to his neighbor gifts they will give. Aleph Lamed, Vav Lamed, that's the month of Elul, hidden in those verses. We know the context of this story is the celebration of Purim after Adonai brought great deliverance to the Jewish people through Hadassah and Mordecai. And because of the hand of God working in their lives, they were in turn told to show concern for others. The reality is that when our hearts have been circumcised and when we are pursuing intimacy with Adonai. Could you say that again? Pursuing intimacy. With who? Adonai. See, when we're pursuing intimacy with Adonai, and when our hearts have been circumcised, the fruit of that is that we're going to show concern for others, and we're going to reach out to help them. And that's basically what this verse is saying. Again, the context is very specific, but to extrapolate the the principle there, it's to show concern and to help others out. And that's where the heart that is pursuing after God is, because that's what Yeshua was about, wasn't it? Reaching the lost, helping others. So that's what we should be about. So let's just look at a few things and a few scriptures on what we can do to help one another. First thing is to support one another in times of weakness and need. Shemot, chapter uh, 17, verse 12, Exodus. However, Moshe's hands grew heavy, so they took a stone and put him under it, and he sat on it, and Aharon and Hur held his hands up, the one on the one side and the other on the other, so that the hand stayed steady until sunset. 
As I said, all of us go through stuff. Things are sometimes, you know, uh, wearing us down. Obviously, the context here is for leadership, but it's not just for the leadership, although we certainly need our errands and errs around us. But as the body, we need to be there supporting one another. In our time of need, we need to be there, and not just the people that you were closest to. You know, I want to take, I want to take a moment... It's okay not to look at me right now. I want you to look around this room. That means you're in the front. Turn around and look at all these people here. Okay? Now, some of these people, you may not even know their name. Well, that's the first step for you beginning to show concern, is know their name. Each of us, at different seasons and times in our life, need someone to come alongside of us and to support us. Even the strongest of people. You may look around and say, oh, that person's a real strong person in the Lord. Even strong people. Moshe was the leader. He was strong, but he was growing weary in the battle, in the fray. We need to come alongside one another and support and strengthen. So here's another assignment for you this week. Find out the name of somebody in the sanctuary that you don't know. A good place to do it is start today. Go up and introduce yourself. I'm just doing my assignment in case Rabbi Carol asked me. My name is Carol. What's your name? And then pray for that person this week. So that's an easy assignment. Showing support for one another. That's how we help each other. Uh, the second thing is to shine the light of Messiah in the darkness of this world. Yeshua tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A town built on the hill cannot be hidden. Likewise, when people light a lamp, they don't cover it with a bowl, but put it on a lampstand so that it shines for everyone in the house. In the same way, let your sh- light shine before people so that they may see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. And again, as we heard in the Devar Torah, it goes so well with the message here, is that there is darkness that is abounding over the earth, and it is creeping upon us. But the good news is, you are the light in the midst of the darkness. And if my heart is circumcised, and if I am pursuing intimacy with God, then the thing that is going to happen is that I am going to shine brighter and brighter in the dark world. Again, read about all the great revivals of the past. Read about it in the, in the New Covenant and in the Tanakh. These men and women. Think about it. Cephas' shadow healed the sick. Why? Because he was pursuing intimacy with God. He allowed Adonai to circumcise his heart. Think of it. I think it was uh, Charles Finney who walked into a car on a train station. And the minute he walked in, people began to weep and to cry and to repent. Not because he said anything, but his mere presence. Because his presence carried the fragrance of Adonai, the light of God. Friends, to do good means to let that light shine and shine so bright in the darkness. The third thing is to seek to do good, Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. So let us not grow weary of doing what is good. For if we don't give up, we will in due time reap the harvest. Therefore, as the opportunity arises, let us do what is good to everyone, and especially to the family of those who are trusting faithfully. Friends, I'm going to tell you once again, there's opportunities for you this week to do good. 
The problem is we are so navel-gazing that we miss the opportunities. Pursue God. Allow him to circumcise your heart. Then you're going to be able to help others. That's what you and I need to be about. Seek to do good this week. Seek to help someone else. And finally, and this ties in, and we already shared this, but just to reiterate this, helping others means that we're sharing boldly the good news of salvation through Yeshua. Romans 1.16, Rav Shaul says, For I am not ashamed of the Bissarah, of the good news, because it is God's powerful means of bringing salvation to everyone who keeps on trusting to the Jew first, or especially, but also to the Gentile. We cannot be ashamed of our faith in Yeshua, the Messiah. Yes, the world is dark. Yes, it's not popular to be believers. You can be anything else and, and under the sun, and you, you will you know, be applauded and, and way made for you. You profess a faith in the living God of Israel and Yeshua. You are a target for ridicule, persecution, and name it. But we don't shrink back. We're not ashamed of that, but we boldly proclaim, yes, I believe in the God of Israel. Yes, I trust Yeshua. And we share that with others and say, yes, there is only one way. Aren't you narrow-minded? No, I'm not. There's only one way. There's only one name by which man can be saved. And that's through Yeshua the Messiah. That's not being narrow-minded because the good news is that that way is open to every man Woman, boy, girl, male, female, Gentile, Jew, doesn't matter. Everyone had, can have salvation through Yeshua. It's not being narrow-minded. It's the hope that we have. And if we are pursuing intimacy and if our hearts are circumcised, we're going to help others. And the biggest thing we can do is to share the good news of Yeshua, to invite others and to speak of the hope that we have. So as we finish our preparations for Rosh Hashanah this next week, may we understand the significance of the season that we are in, and I pray that the truths of this message be principles that we seek to apply in our daily lives. Let's stand to our feet as we close in prayer. I'm going to ask Myrna and Gary and Evan to come join me. We're going to be available for prayer. If you'd like prayer for anything, to come up and we will pray in agreement with you. And then I'll come back and officially close with the ironic benediction. So if you're here today and, and you've never accepted Yeshua as your Messiah, you know about God, maybe from your childhood years or whatever, you, you know, know who he is, but you don't have that personal relationship with him. I want to tell you that today you can take the first step in pursuing him. And that's just a place of surrender and saying, I'm going to put my trust in you. We're going to talk about this extensively in the high holiday services, and I certainly invite you to come, our visitors, to come and join us again for those holiday seasons. But, you know, Yom Kippur and this whole holiday season, this is about atonement and it's about making sure our names are written in the book of life. Well, there's only one way for that to happen. As I said, there's salvation in only one day. Salvation is atonement. And that's through putting our trust in Yeshua, the Messiah. 
And it's just a simple acknowledging. I have a problem. That problem is my sin. Sin is anything that is contrary to God's word. And there's no man, the King Solomon says in the Tanakh, there's no man who is without sin. So that's the first thing. I have sin in my life. Second thing is you can't do anything about it. The prophet Isaiah tells us that all of our righteousness, in other words, all of our good deeds, no matter how good we think they are, are like filthy rags in the sight of God. And that our sin is, that God is of such pure eyes, and the prophet Hosea tells us that he can't even look upon us because of our sin. But the good news, the Bisserah that Yeshua tells us to go and share with you, is that Yeshua came. And he died on that tree of sacrifice as the ultimate atonement, that once for all atonement of all sin for all mankind. He took that sin upon himself and that all we have to do is simply trust him. And what does trust in him mean? It means, I say, Yeshua, I can't atone for my sins. I can't save myself. But I trust that what you did on that tree atones for me. Just like those worshipers every year went to the tabernacle and the temple and they put their hands on the, the goats and the bulls and they said, Zetach this is for me. They trusted that that would atone for sins. Well, now Yeshua is that once for all atonement. So I want to pray today a prayer. and I want to ask everyone to pray with me. And if you are praying this prayer for the first time and you are entering in to this relationship with Adonai, I want to encourage you to come up to one of us who are here praying and just let us know. And we will pray with you, and we want to encourage you to pursue and to grow in that relationship with Adonai. But I'm going to ask everyone to pray with me, and then I'm going to ask the people to come up who are going to pray over you and just to come down and, uh, and, and, and be ready to receive prayer. So, so join me in this prayer. Adonai, thank you for loving me. I have sin in my life. And I cannot do anything about it. But you provided atonement through the sacrifice of Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah and Savior of the world. I choose today to put my trust in Yeshua's sacrifice for my sins. Wash them clean and write my name in the book of life. Amen. Amen. That's the first step of a lifetime journey of growing in Adonai. You pray that for the first time, or perhaps it's a renewal of a commitment you made years ago, but you've fallen away again. Share with one of us who are going to be up here praying. So Evan and uh, Myrna Guerra, come on down to the front. I'm going to ask you to come up. I Don't hesitate. Don't be, you know, hanging back. Let me see who. Just get down here. Get in the aisle. Get ready to get prayer. And, uh, and then I'll come back in a couple minutes and we'll close with the ironic benediction.